This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, a high-scoring Week 9 in the NLL has some eye-opening results. A big doubleheader for the Wings and Wolves as they'll play two games in 20 hours this weekend. A milestone weekend for Banesh, Evans, Crawford, and Small. And this week, we're joined by Callum Crawford, Brad Chaloner, and Pat Gregoire. All that more on OTCB. Welcome to another edition of the show here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. What is good, lacrosse fans? My name's Teddy Jenner. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Love hearing from you. Love having conversations about all things lacrosse. We've talked WA. I've had some MSL chat. I've had NLL Rookies of the Year chat over the the socials this past week so get at me let me know what's good and what's going on what your thoughts are of the national lacrosse league what do you think the new york and halifax teams are going to be called because we'll find that out in just a few short days yes that is correct on saturday halifax will announce their team name officially and then sunday new york will unveil their name now there's lots of speculation Privateers, Maritimers, Red Hawks, Thunderbirds, possible names that go along with the Halifax team. And then, of course, out in New York, you could have the Beacons. We all hope it's going to be the Saints. It could be the Sound. Lots of options and opportunities out there. And just a few more sleeps, and we will find out who we will be playing against in 2020. So that's some interesting news to keep your eyes on this weekend as we have uh, a full slate of games on the NLL docket. One on Friday, four on Saturday, one on Sunday. So plenty of NLL action to keep you busy this weekend, keep you warm inside as this Arctic storm continues to wreak havoc north of the border. There is actual snow here in Victoria. A couple feet have fallen in the past few days, and the city is on shutdown. It is insane. I love it, as does Bear the Dog. We'll also talk uh, the WLA draft that happened, uh, a big signing in San Diego. If you're a Seals fan, uh, as mentioned, Callum Crawford, Brad Chowner, and Pat Gregoire will stop by. But when you watch the games this past weekend, and if you go back and you can watch them over and over again, it was a very intense weekend, a very physical weekend, and a very confusing weekend. Case in point, San Diego has 20 days off. They come back their first game in two and a half weeks near they lay a goose egg at home and get trounced 14-6 to by Vancouver. Colorado goes into Philadelphia on Saturday. They go back and forth. They come back late. The Mammoth come away with a huge win. New England, at home, puts up 16 on Rochester and outlasts the Nighthawks 16-13. to Buffalo hangs 19 on the Swarm and only give up 9 in the most lopsided game of the weekend. And then maybe one of the more surprising outcomes, Calgary hangs 17 on the rush 
to hand them their third loss in a row and the first time they've lost three in about six years. It all went down in the matter of two days, and this is how it sounded. Shot clock nearing five. Will they get a shot off? Here's Ball at the last moment, scoring from a tough angle. Evans denied on that underneath cut. Dawson tries to get underneath. Dawson shoots and scores. Seals last game was 20 days ago as Jones slings one in on Chiliano and extends it out to 12-5. What a night for the Warriors. his way toward the net. He'll have to pinch off wide. Front of the net shot and score! Blaze reared in his second and they turn it over. Ryan Wagner, the newest acquisition for the Wings on a breakaway. Wagner shoots, he scores! Ryan Wagner, welcome to Philadelphia. 9-7 Wings. In front shot, they score. Four on four and it's Eli McLaughlin. Give him a hat trick on the night, 11-10, Colorado. Up top, Killen with a shot and he scores. The rookie, Kyle Killen, makes it 12-10. There was only 11 seconds left on that kill, but the Mammoth end up scoring their fourth power play tower. The block feeds, trickles in for Andrew Suter. The misdirection is fooled by Ressa Terrence. We have a two-goal game here at Mohegan Sun Arena. Empty goal. Crawford taking advantage. He has 10 points tonight. Five goals, five assists. That might have just iced the game. And there's another goal. That's Corey Smalls, fourth in the game at 600. Career point. Back on defense. Hogarth once again, and he gets past all of them. And now Hogarth with a hat trick on the night. Power play for Buffalo. Evans winds up, clips it behind, back to Corey Small, who gets another one. That is his fifth goal tonight. Minsky rotates to cover him. Now Pace fires. That was actually a pass behind the goal. Coming out front is Dixon, and he gets the wow. bouncer past Kirk. And the Riggers, they're right back in this one, just trailing by a goal. It's 5-4. Now a two-on-one, perhaps, here as Courier comes down with McCray, who fires, and he scores. Evan Kirk got a piece, but it trickles past the rush netminder, and the Roughnecks have their first lead of the night. Quick look at the clock for Matthews, gets it to Church, who takes the return pass. Now Robert Church scores, and that's a big one for the rush with 1.6 left on the clock. They finally break through here in the third game, just 16 back of Shatler. Now he's got six tonight. Slowing adds to the rush misery, make it 17 to 12. An unbelievable scoreline here tonight. In that pumped-up audio kickback from the weekend, you heard the 600th point from Corey Small, the 900th point of Callum Crawford. Sean Evans moves into seventh all-time in NLL scoring. And Ryan Benash passes Lewis Ratcliffe for 10th all-time in NLL scoring. So lots going on this weekend in what was, like I said off the start, a very interesting, eye-opening, and oftentimes confusing weekend in the National Lacrosse League. 
We'll talk with Pat Gregoire about the weeks off for San Diego and how it affected them for the good or for the bad. Obviously, it wasn't for the good as they had probably their least productive game of the season on both sides of the ball. It was the first time all year that Frankie Shiliano had actually been pulled from a game. So the time off didn't exactly do the seals very well. We'll talk to Brad Chowner about the Vancouver Warriors and their mini resurgence here. Uh, they've got victories over Colorado and San Diego within the division. They got a tough stretch of the schedule coming up. So we'll talk with the Warriors color man momentarily. But the Calgary-Saskatchewan game is one that people should really be paying attention to as well as that Buffalo-Georgia game. And why? And it's because Buffalo and Calgary are starting to turn things around while Georgia is stumbling and Saskatchewan is in a free fall. As I mentioned, Saskatchewan's lost three in a row. They're in Vancouver this weekend trying to avoid, avoid losing their fourth straight game. And I'm not sure how long it's been since that happened, but it's got to go back to when they were in Edmonton, probably 2007, 2008-ish, the last time that a rush team lost four in a row. And it's very confusing, and we'll talk with Pat Gregor about this as well. A team that we all thought was built for a long tenure as a championship-caliber team and they've been that for the last four years. Unfortunately, now that expansion has happened and they've lost some players due to work commitments, we're starting to see the rush a little bit exposed. And it's not something lacrosse fans are used to seeing, especially fans in Saskatoon. And so it'll be interesting to see how Derek Keenan and his group rebound heading into Vancouver this weekend. This is a really big weekend for both those clubs. And if the Warriors can knock off the rush, they'll hop them in the standings. As for Buffalo and Georgia, I think teams really need to start paying attention to this Buffalo Bandit squad. And we've been talking about Buffalo all year here on this podcast. I had them as the number one team in the East going into the regular season. In my preseason predictions, I still think they are. One of the top teams, obviously Toronto, ahead of them in the standings. Buffalo's played two more games, so the Rock have a little bit of positioning. But I think come down the stretch, you should be really scared of this Buffalo Bandits team, especially since they went on the road and put up 19 on Georgia, and it probably could have been more. This is a Buffalo team that you have to be really scared of. Offensively, they're deep. They move the ball really well. They don't care who gets the points. Everybody contributes. Defensively, Matt Vince is playing lights out lacrosse, as we all know that he can. But I think the defense in front of him have finally found their cohesion with Vino in between the pipes. Because it's different for a goaltender stepping into a new defense. He's got to realize where guys play. He's got to learn their tendencies. Which way is a guy going to jump when he's blocking a shot? Vino's been used to having Ian Lord standing right in front of him, blocking shots to the far post, allowing him to cover the short side. Now, are defenders doing that in Buffalo so that Vino can watch that short side, or does he have to play a little more square to the shooter? So it's taken them a little bit of time to come together as a whole defensive group. 
But now they're starting to really work on all cylinders. And when you hold Georgia to nine, that's incredibly impressive. Not a lot of teams are doing that. And if they are, they're still going to run into a buzzsaw with the defense that Georgia can put out there. But Buffalo did everything they could to get inside. They shot from the outside. They made Mike Poulin look normal, which isn't an easy task. And the Buffalo Bandits are on a three-game winning streak, and they're trying to keep pace with the red-hot Toronto Rock. And the Rock had the weekend off. They'll be at home on Friday when the San Diego Seals come to town, and that's a game that I've been kind of had circle on my calendar for a few weeks now. Uh, Pat Merrill returning back to the team that he played most of his career for. And a chance for these two teams, the top team in the East, the top team in the West, to square off and maybe take a little bit of early season bragging rights. As we turn the corner and make our way towards the second half of the season, most teams have played half of their games. There's some teams that are still on seven and eight games. We'll get there by the time this weekend's over. And we continue to try and figure out who is going to be the kings of the National Lacrosse League in 2019. And really, as you look at the schedule... Sure, there may be a bit of a gap between Toronto, Buffalo, Georgia, and the rest of the NLL. But as this season goes on, that gap is going to start to shrink. And as teams start to get healthy, start to hit their stride, I think we're going to see that gap get a little bit closer over the next few weeks. Uh, Just looking at league stats, the Toronto Rock only have 52 penalty minutes in their seven games. And as I say that, I would want to say the next closest team or the Saskatchewan Rush at 88 minutes, but just below them, two spots, the Mammoth have only taken 49 penalty minutes. Now, sure, the Rock and Mammoth have only played seven games. Those numbers are a bit askew, but still, taking 50 minutes in penalties in seven games, you're doing all that you can to help your team win because... As we saw in that Buffalo game, if you give potent offenses repeated opportunities on the man up, they will make you pay. And Colorado did it in their game against Philadelphia this weekend. They scored four in the power play to help propel them to their second win of the year. And Buffalo went seven for eight on the power play in Georgia for their seventh win of the year. So taking penalties, being effective on the power play, couple things that teams are going to have to try to fix or get better at as this season goes on because in as tight of a league as the NLL is right now, it's going to be the little things, loose balls, face-offs, special teams that by the end of the day really will be a deciding factor of who the top eight teams are making their way into the playoffs. One of those teams that's in a playoff spot right now are the Vancouver Warriors. It's been a long time since they've been there. It's been a long time since they've had three wins. It's been two years. And in those two years, that was the last time that they were in the playoffs. Of course, they lost to Colorado in that first round. But this is a very different Vancouver team. They're starting to play with a lot more composure, a lot more confidence. And a lot of that stems from Eric Penny between the pipes. Color man Brad Chowner joins us on the show, and Brad has been patiently waiting to get on the show. And when I first caught up with him 
and I asked him if he could come on. He cursed me for not having him sooner, so we got to set the record straight first with Brad Chowner. How long is this? How long is the podcast been going now? Like ten years? Whoa, 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 Nine whoa, years. whoa, whoa! Settle, settle down, settle down. There was a radio show first. Yeah, that was three years, and then uh, the podcast has been going on for another five. So um, I've been waiting for the ten-year anniversary to have you on, but you begged and pleaded, and your team's been playing well, so I thought I'd get you on a little earlier. Finally. Finally. Well, uh, Finally. I'm, glad, I'm glad you opened the door. Uh, long time, long time listener, big fan, obviously, and happy to be a first time guest here. Thanks, bud. Oh, well, it's it's good to have you. You're in a good spot. Uh, the Vancouver Warriors are playing some pretty decent lacrosse, and you've got one of the best seats in the house. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been absolutely fantastic to be to be working at a Rogers Arena, man. It's been it's been night and day. It's been. Uh, it's been a dream come true. Brandon, Brando, and I are right up there in the in the Jim Robson broadcast booth. My seat is literally right at center floor, looking straight down. I've been in a couple of different barns in the NLL, and you know you can get pretty high up. Like the Jim Robson booth has a has a pretty good vantage point, and uh, it's it's slowly becoming home. I can't believe we're at game five of this weekend already. It seems like uh, it seems like we just got started, but now we're we're halfway done, which is nuts. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how quickly the season's going. Have you bumped shoulders with any uh, NHL play-by-play guys up in the Jim Robson booth? Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen Shorty, I haven't seen Batch yet. We're keeping their seats warm. The <laughs> first day, though, just to show you like what how different it's kind of been. The first first night I went in there, we were doing like a, a broadcast rehearsal, just like some camera testing and that. Yeah. And I took the elevator with Barry Trot. Nice. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, what's Trotz doing here? I think he's a Kelowna native, but I think uh, uh, his NHL team was in town that night. And I was like, okay, well, this is a little different than uh, than things at the LEC. And I know Bo Horvat's been at Bo Horvat's been at a couple of the games, and a lot of the Canucks have been bouncing around. So yeah, a little different. A little different uh, seeing NHL players instead of high school basketball teams. Slightly, exactly. Slightly. Uh, speaking of the Warriors, uh, coming off a big win uh, against the San Diego Seals, one of the top teams. In the National Lacrosse League, a uh, very dominating performance on the road, 14-6. Uh, is this the type of play we should expect from the Vancouver Warriors? Because they've been a little Jekyll and Hyde this year. Yeah, they really have. It's just taken them a while to click. Obviously, that was a spectacular performance last weekend. That is now the bar. They mm. know that they can play like that. They know that they can reach that level now. They can dig into that confidence. I don't think you can ask your goaltender and your fence to hold teams to to six goals against tonight, but man, you, if you put up 14 and have Eric Penny and the defense playing the way that they've been playing, getting all those different offensive players contributing, I think now they can look back at that game last weekend and say, that is the team we are. They can build some confidence in that. They know that that's within them now. Similar to that win that they had in game one, I thought all season long so far that that was a game that they can always draw back to and kind of say, you know what, we overcame a massive deficit. We scrapped back. We ended up winning that game in overtime. That's the team we are. Well, now this is that same team again, another team that put up 14 goals. So, yeah, I think they can make it hard back to last weekend and, and take some confidence away for sure. Uh, the Canucks and their fans have EP40 in Elias Patterson. Uh, Warriors fans have EP61 in Eric Penny. Uh, he's kind of risen from the shadows of Aaron Bold, who's been in and out of the lineup the past few games. How impressed have you been with this just the maturation of Eric Penny being sort of a backup guy in and out of the lineup. He was thought to be a number one and he kind of got pushed back and he's kind of just bided his time. And now he really looks like he's ready to take over. 
you know, up and down the Warriors roster this year, there's been so many of those those good storylines of mm-hmm. underdogs, your Keegan Balls, your Porters, your Barkers. But, you know, I don't know if there's anyone I'm more happy for than EP61. We're making it happen. <laughs> Hashtag EP61, the Rexdale native. Um, no, I'm, I'm so happy for a Like I've watched him from the sideline for five years now. Like, he, he came to Vancouver – uh, in that trade, you know, uh, self gave up a lot for him at the time, bringing Rory Smith over, and he was kind of the tack on. Mm-hmm. But it's been absolutely unreal what he's done since. Like, just biding his time, practice roster, backup goaltender. He was the starter a couple of years ago until yeah. Tyler Richards came out of retirement. Like, he was anointed that year as, like, a 22, 23-year-old. You know, this is a kid who's 25. I don't know if there's a lot of 25-year-olds outside of maybe Del Bianco who have seen him as much rubber as Eric Kenny has. He's approaching 30 career starts already. And, yeah, like, people might say he's kind of come out of nowhere, but I don't think he has. He's bided his time. He's persevered. And he looks like a different man. I mean, first time I saw him take the floor this year, I was like, wow. Like, he hasn't he hasn't bulked up in a weight way, just kind of like a muscular way. His shoulders are broader. He's keeping them up higher, taking up a lot of net. He's moving very, very fluidly, but not using a lot of wasted movements. Like, he's just playing – He's playing smart, and I think Dwight Mechie's helped, and I think biding his time and, and waiting, like, he's kind of seen everything now over his five years, and the kid is still just 25, so super stoked for EP61. Leading the league in uh, goals against average and save percentage. While his minutes aren't there, the numbers are there. Uh, you said he was from Rexdale. I know a lot of people from Mimico are going to get upset about that. Are you going to change to let them know that he is from Mimico, or are you going to keep with the Rexdale thing? I, you know what? I'm sticking with Rexdale. I saw the heat from the Mimco Twitter. Yeah, a lot of heat. Uh, a lot so of a, a, a couple weeks ago, because I was introducing the starting goaltender, that I said, from Mimco. No, sorry. I corrected myself. <laughs> I said, no, from Rexdale. The, the passport says Rexdale. I'm pretty sure on Eric Kenny. I know that he played junior there. And, it, you know, a lot of people think that if you played junior there, now you're automatically from Mimico yeah. from the rest of your life. I've never been to Mimico. I'm sure the fine <laughs> folks there are great. But I like just mentioning the word Rexdale every time I can, because, uh, you know, great, great hip-hop community in Rexdale. That's a true story. Um, you mentioned the name Dwight Mackey, and for NLL fans of the past, even old Vancouver Ravens fans will know that name. Uh, I played with him when he was in Edmonton. What an absolutely great human being. Um, but you mentioned how much of an effect he's had on Eric Penny. Uh, you go through the line of the, the coaching staff and the people that are now involved with the Warriors. It's a bit of a different feel than it has been in the past. Yeah, it, you know, it really has. Chris Gill's definitely brought a different different intensity to the team and, you know, brought a different sort of standard in what he wants these guys to live up to. And, you know, he's surrounding himself with, with Clay Richardson, who before the season started, you know, Chris Gill, when he was looking for his assistance, went veteran by veteran through, through the Vancouver roster and said, you know, who would you like to see behind that bench? Who have you had success with in your careers? And all of the vets to a man said, Clay Richardson and Chris Gill was super happy to hear that and ended up bringing him back and you know he's worked wonders on that on that on that back end of the fence they're all buying into his system it's a team system it's a physical system he's got them looking great um you know Rory McDade's a great offensive mind he's drawn up a lot of six on five that have and power play stuff has kind of worked to their advantage so far this year you know Dan Perot's running tape Curtis Hodgson's still involved you mentioned Dwight Metke uh Dan Richardson pulling strings behind the scene like yeah it is a it's a different group. It's a lot. It's got a lot of lacrosse experience from a lot of different backgrounds, and they're all kind of bringing it together and you know whispering their their wisdom to the players, and it's uh, showing on the floor right now. 
the loss of Joel McCready uh, isn't one that can easily be filled, but when you get young guys stepping up and playing big minutes, it kind of lessens that blow. And we all expect Anthony Malcolm to kind of have a better year than he had last year, but I think the real surprise has been Keegan Ball. Yeah, and Keegan Ball has been been fantastic. And talk about another guy who's who's paid his dues, like three mm-hmm. years sweating it out, dominating that senior B loop, three Presidents Cups, and he um, well, he's made a conscious effort to to listen to what was 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 going on and kept him out of the league the first time around. He's had a lot of close conversations with Dan and Chris, and he's changed his game. You know, to me, if you look at Keegan Ball, you look at Mitch Jones. It's almost like putting a mirror at the middle of the floor. And you got kind of two identical players at, at top left and top right. It's been fun to watch those two kind of have a similar game. And, you know, Keegan Ball's been physical. He's been able to get to the middle and get loose balls. He's a slippery guy to check. His outside shot has been dialed in. His feeding game has been good. His chemistry with any player that he's working with, whether it's Tony Malcolm, James Ray, Jordan McBride, McCready earlier, like he's really adaptable. And, yeah, just another story of a guy who's been an underdog, 11 games in the league over a couple of seasons up until this point, um, was the last cut in, in Denver last year, as you know. And, you know, Chris Gill and Pat Coyle have both been on record saying that that was a mistake last year. And he's, he's really uh, showing Dan Richardson and Chris what we can do this year. Uh, probably maybe even a bigger surprise is that of Jordan McBride, who spent five years not even playing in the National Cross League. The last time he played was with Colorado. He got into three games. Uh, he has a career high of 49 points, but this year he's probably going to break that. Um, I have been extremely impressed with what Jordan McBride has brought this year. I've never really been a big fan just because I, maybe because he was a new West guy for such a long time, but I've really been impressed with the way he's kind of brought his game back full circle. Yeah. It, you know, and I, I'm trying to think, you know, what, what is different about Jordan McBride? Cause to me, mm. like, he's still shooting the same way he's always done. He's still got that outside bouncer. Um, you know, maybe he was a little bit more one-dimensional in the past and maybe not as athletic and, and quick to get him to the NLL game. And you don't think a guy would, would find his speed at 32, but he absolutely has. And he has taken his game to a different dimension. You see him crashing the crease. You know, he had the beautiful behind the back last week. He's scoring in different kind of ways, maybe than what we've seen him do in U.S. and in, in, in Colorado previous. Like, he's another guy that in Chris Steele's offense is, is thriving on his touches. He's got a great shooting percentage and – you know, yeah, I mean, another guy, again, chip on your shoulder, something to prove, hungry. That's what Dan and Chris went out looking for, and that's what they're getting, guys that want to, to shut up critics right now. 32 years old, five years away from the game. That means that there's hope for guys like you and me. Um, we're coming back, guys. Let's do it. Let's do okay, it. you can yeah. come back. I'm probably not going to come back. Well, I, I was never wise, so it wouldn't be exactly <laughs> to come back. It would be like, oh, where'd this guy come from? Uh, big game this weekend against the Saskatchewan Rush. Uh, your good buddy Jumbo will be in attendance in the other broadcast booth. Um, but this is a team you've played them before. How important is it for Vancouver to start gaining some momentum now, especially since they're going to start playing some of the top teams in the next few games? Yeah, they've got a they have a bit of a wacky schedule here. They've got to make up some hay against the Western Division in the next month because they wrap up the season with three games against the East. So they've got two more against Sass. They've got the game against uh, the back-to-back with Colorado coming up and another one with, with San Diego to determine the season series. But, yeah, this is a massive one, and it's going to be a tough one because if anybody's going to be pissed off about losing three in a row, it's going to be Saskatchewan Rodgers, yeah, yeah. who haven't done that, I think, in Matthew's career. Like, it's been 2013. I think that was Matthew's rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
So they haven't lost three games in a row, four games. They haven't lost three in a row since Matthews entered the league. They've done that now. Can they lose four in a row? Like, they're going to be – they're going to be hungry. They look good at Rogers Arena. All those BC boys love getting in uh, to Rogers Arena and to BC and Dinsdale and Church and, and McIntosh and the Coquitlam boys. And but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a massive game. And I think the way Vancouver's playing right now and the way Saskatchewan's playing right now, it's a winnable game for Vancouver. And it can yeah. really turn the tide, really turn the tide of the season if they can knock off a Titan like like Saskatchewan. Um, that that could go a long way to uh, to feed the confidence and, and keep this train rolling. And I believe with that win, they'd actually vault over the rush for third in the NLL West. Uh, before I let you go, I know it's technically not your company, but how important is it for the Warriors to have Sportsnet on board uh, with Warriors in 30, Warriors weekly, and now uh, road and away games on the radio? Yeah, don't get the Bell Media guy in trouble here, Ted. But, uh, yeah, try not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, like general managers not listening right now. But no, yeah. it's been massive. Warriors in 30 has been sick. I've getting more yeah. people texting me, texting me, uh, you know, and, and hitting me up on Twitter that have seen Warriors in 30 than have, you know, watched watched the broadcast over the last couple of years. It's, it's been crazy. And, you know, for people that people that haven't watched, it's, it's, uh, it's a Warriors game chopped down to 30 minutes, which, you know, in a game where there's 30 goals – is a goal a minute on, on Sportsnet. And it's, and it's fun to watch. It's fast-paced. It's nice and tidy. You know, you can watch a game. It's on. It's, like, on all the time on Sportsnet. You yeah. can watch it, like, three or four times during the week, pick up on different goals that you didn't see before. Like, it's huge. And I think it's the next step towards a big television broadcast deal, which I still believe is, is the way to go. I know the league always wants to direct everything online online but man man, everybody that i talk to loves the ease of being able to turn on your tv without having to log into anything or any buffering and boom there's the game right there so i think warriors and 30 has been been absolutely crazy um we've done home and road games on the radio for for the last five years in vancouver so i'm glad to see that that trending continue mm-hmm. and uh just having the boys out there i know the canucks have had a lot of a lot of cross-pollination with the warriors and they're doing a lot of stuff great socially and i think the warriors are killing it on social right now too. If you hit up uh, Warriors Twitter account today, you'll see Ian Hawksby giving like a, a crib style tour through the through the locker room. So uh, yeah, they're doing a great job, and, and the more they can get themselves out there, is that uh, is going to be good for this market, as you know. That's Brad Chowner. You can find him on Twitter at Brad Chow. Uh, he does a lot of work for the Warriors. He also does a lot of work for a local Vancouver radio station uh, with Bell Media. So that was kind of. Why he said, sure, get the Bell Media guy in trouble because the Warriors are owned by the Canucks and the Canucks now have a relationship with Sportsnet. So Brad's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, as it were, but nice that he's able to continue to do the stellar job that he does. And I got to give a big shout out to Brandon Astle, who has slid in in to Jake Elliott's play-by-play chair and done quite a remarkable job. And if you are in the BC area, and you get Sportsnet and you haven't seen Warriors 30 and 30, I, I highly recommend you check it out. It's a great show. Uh, tonight, Tuesday night, uh, Warriors Weekly will debut at 10 o'clock local time on the radio. Uh, Dave Sheldon, the Warriors PR man and a longtime radio voice in Vancouver, uh, will be hosting that show. He's going to have three guests on with him tonight, and that happens, I believe, every Tuesday night. Uh, check out the Warriors social for more information on that. Uh, but thanks to Brad for giving us some time. And he mentioned the play of Eric Penny. And, man, has that kid been good over the last three games or so. Because 
you have to take into effect the fact that when you are a backup goaltender, you have to be ready to go at all times. And you have to be focused on the game at hand. You have to be keeping an eye on tendencies of shooters. You got to be watching for delayed penalties. You got to be watching for too many men. There's so many little things going on within the game as a backup goaltender. You're not just sitting there opening and closing the gate, even though Curtis Wagner did it better than anybody. But for Eric Penny to have to sit on the bench for the first, you know, majority of his first three years in the National Lacrosse, he wasn't really even in the NLL two years ago. To sit and wait and to sit and watch and to sit and watch, knowing that you can do all that you can to help your team succeed, knowing that you can step in there and play your role, it has to be extremely tough, especially when you're not getting the minutes. And you heard Brad talk about it. There was a point a couple years ago where he was the guy. And then Tyler Richards came in. And then Ty Belanger came in. And every time you thought Eric Penny was going to step up and play the role, they found a way to bring in somebody else. And with Aaron Bold kind of in and out of the lineup, whether it be work or health reasons, Eric Penny's had to be ready to go. And he has been great in his last three games. Uh, as we mentioned, he's leading the league in goals against and save percentage. Sure, his minutes and numbers uh, of playing aren't sort of, say, on the same par as a guy like Christian Del Bianco. But you know what? You take your minutes when you get them. You play them as best as you can. And it doesn't matter that he hasn't seen as many minutes as Vince or Delbs or Rose or Bouquet or Sigs. He's coming in, and he's giving them every minute the best that he can, and he's helping them win lacrosse games. He's won two of his last three. And he's got the Warriors in a prime spot to take on the rush this weekend and maybe move into third in the NLL West. You also heard Brad talk about guys stepping out of shadows and guys filling voids and playing bigger than they have in the past. Jordan McBride, a guy that wasn't in the league for four or five years, picks himself right back up and is having a standout season. Keegan Ball, uh, a, a practice roster guy, in and out of lineups, uh, last-minute cuts, late-minute pickups, has never really been, been able to find a starting consistent role. And now he's probably one of Vancouver's most consistent players out the front door. And it just goes to show all you young kids that are out there, even if you are a high draft pick, sometimes things don't go your way and you have to wait and you have to bide your time before you get a shot. But even those that are late round draft picks or not drafted, keep working at your craft. Keep your stick in your hand. Keep going to the gym. Keep working on the wall. Do everything you can to make yourself better away from the rink. And when you do get your chance, make sure you make the most of it. It's a story that happens every year around the league of guys that have been waiting for that shot in the NLL to finally get it, to finally 
chip in and to finally have success. Obviously, my relationship with the Colorado Mammoth is a little bit better than my relationship with some of the other teams. So seeing guys like Ryan Lee and Kyle Killen step in and have success is awesome to see. Ryan Lee didn't have a great year last year in his rookie year. And I thought that he might have been a guy they left unprotected for the expansion draft just because at the time last year, I didn't think his game was suited for the NLL. I think he needed some time to develop. Well, he took the summer and used that time to develop. And again, this year, he's been one of the Mammoth's most consistent players. Kyle Killen didn't get the start right away. And now there's no way he's ever being taken out of the lineup. It allowed them to trade Stephen Keogh. So Eric Penny, Keegan Ball, Kyle Killen, Ryan Lee, go down the list of every roster in the National Cross League, and you'll be able to pick out one or two guys that have been waiting for this shot. And there are still a ton of guys out there waiting for the shot. Look at all the guys that are playing in the Arena Lacrosse League out in Ontario. We've already seen some guys make the jump from the ALL to the NLL and have success. It's a great spot to keep your stick and your mind sharp. And if you're not in Ontario, you're elsewhere, just keep grinding, boys. Keep grinding. Your time will come. You'll get your shot. And when you do, do all that you can to make sure that they have no other choice but to keep you in the lineup. Some of the thoughts that came through my mind as watching the games this weekend. And a lot of it has to do with the dive. And I'm a huge proponent of the dive. It's always been one of my favorite things. I have a framed photo of me diving and scoring a backhander on T-Rich. Like, the dive is a part of lacrosse. I'm so glad it's back in the NCAA. And I'm so glad that players in the National Lacrosse League are finding more and more ways to score goals other than just trying to rip rope from the outside. But defending the dive as it has morphed is becoming increasingly tough, especially with these new hybrid defenses that teams are running with guys locked down on the crease, channeling guys down towards the backside underneath. There are so many things to keep your mind sharp on and focused on while you're playing defense that a guy behind the net seems to be the furthest thing from the thought process. And at times, the least dangerous guy because he's behind the net. But now, teams are starting to figure it out, and we're seeing set plays on power plays, set plays on five-on-five, set plays on six-on-five, where guys are ending up behind the net, and the pass is going buzzing right past the goaltender's ear, and it's not a shot, it's actually a pass, and by the time the goaltender can react somebody's jumping from behind the net and dunking the ball. Uh, Case in point was the courier goal in Philadelphia against Toronto, or sorry, against Colorado. I believe it was Kevin Crowley had the ball. He was isolated up top. He was going one-on-one, driving to the net, and I'm not sure who was defending him at the time, but Taylor Stewart was the extra defender, and his man was courier behind the net, and again, He's not really dangerous because he's behind the net, but now 
that the dive has become so prevalent, he is dangerous. And so Taylor Stewart, as the low guy, has to be ready to slide to help, to double Crowley. But as soon as he steps up on that slide, Crowley fires the ball behind the net right past Dylan Ward to Courier, and Courier has an easy alley-oop dunk. And so how do you defend that? And how do you defend a guy driving underneath like Lyle Thompson does or Callum Crawford does, who's going to join us in a minute? How do you defend that? Because if you, if a guy's coming not from behind that, if a guy's coming underneath, say, like Lyle or Callum does, and he's got the angle and he takes and he jumps, and most time guys aren't diving horizontal anymore, they're diving perpendicular, straight up and down, because it gives them more room to shoot. As a defender, there's not much you can do because if he gets underneath you and past you and you hit him from behind, it's a penalty. If you cross-check him into your goalie, not only are you putting your tender at risk, but you're probably going to get an illegal cross-check penalty. You could take a swing at the stick, but you might hit a helmet. And for a goaltender, you could try and step out and initiate contact, but you're also putting yourself in jeopardy of being injured, and skilled shooters will be able to see you jumping out early, and oftentimes we're seeing them bring the ball back short side. As for guys behind, you could stick a D guy on him behind the net, but now you're completely taking one of your defensive help out of the play. So it's interesting to see how teams are starting to defend that. And I don't think there is one solution. Because, like I said, you want to have guys being able to slide to help. And as soon as that slide comes, there's often a rotation. But you're never rotating, never ever rotating to a guy behind the net. So it'll be interesting to see how teams begin to defend that. And as a goaltender, how do they play it? Because as soon as that ball goes flying past their head, a goaltender's natural instinct is to take two or three quick steps, finders, posts, and hug them. And oftentimes, you'll see a goaltender jump so far back and quickly back to his net that he pushes the net back, maybe even falls over, creating more of a chaos. So for goaltenders, for defenders, the dive has become a nuisance in a sense. Because there's no real easy way to, to deny it or defend it. Sure, if a guy's taking a path underneath and he's trying to drag that angle, you can push him down the side a little bit further. But if he's got the corner on you, there's nothing you can do. And if he's behind the net and he's un, you know, you're not defending him and it's on a quick stick pass, there's really not much you can do. If a guy's standing behind the net and he's holding onto it for a couple seconds, sure, you can force him out the wrong side. You can pick a side. Your goaltender takes one. You take the other as a defender. And you can push him out his wrong side. But if it's a bang-bang play, I don't know what defenders or goalies can do. So keep an eye on that as this season goes along and watch how defenders slide to the ball, leaving guys open. And watch how guys are starting to play defense against forwards that are behind the net. Because like I said, 
you can't go and shut a guy off behind the net because you're taking yourself completely out of the play. But I got to say, the dive being back in lacrosse is fantastic. I think it's great for the game. I'm extremely happy nobody has gotten really seriously injured in the past few years from guys doing that. Um, it's always a possibility with guys recklessly throwing their bodies across the turf like that. But let's just hope that guys realize that they can't dive straight at the goaltender. They have to dive away. And guys have been doing a really good job of that. You don't see too many guys who are on a beeline without being touched or shooting and going right at the goaltender. 90% of the time, guys are doing everything they can to avoid that contact because they know it's going to be a penalty. In the few instances where there is contact with the goaltender, mostly it's because the forward has been hit by his defender into the goaltender causing contact. So I'm glad everybody's keeping safe and diving with a purpose, not diving to injure. I'm just very intrigued to watch how defenses start to play the dive, especially as more and more guys are lining up behind the net for that one-time alley-oop. Our next guest is a guy that has made the dive part of his natural repertoire and may be one of the lethalest players jumping across the crease. He is Callum Crawford of the New England Black Wolves. And Callum has made a serious life change. His family has relocated. We'll get into that. But when I caught up with Callum at his home, he was doing something that I'm not sure a lot of cross guys do. He's happy. His life is good. He's got the kid. He's got the wife. And he's got his feet in hot water. He'll explain. Here's Callum Crawford. He's actually better than good right now. Got my feet in this wonderful massage ottoman that I have. And uh life. You're going to have to explain that for myself and the listeners at home. What is an ottoman-like thingy that treats your feet? So I went and bought myself this piece of furniture when my wife was away that looks like an ottoman. Little does she know, it opens up and turns into a foot massage. Because <laughs> I've not gotten the green light to buy this foot massage thingy. So I just completely have it disguised. Wait. Does she not like foot massages? She loves them. She just doesn't like me spending or AKA wasting money. <laughs> yeah, but this is your hard earned money. You take slashes and cross checks and hits to the head for these luxuries at home. Right. We're going to have to get her to listen to the podcast. Uh, it's obviously going to be a thing we're going to have to key her in on, but maybe we shouldn't. Cause then she'll know that you've splurged money. True. I'd be, uh, I'd be the dog out. It's a coin toss. Maybe wrap it up and say it's for her. Say, look what I got you. You're on your feet all the time. Here you go. Yeah. She'd probably be like, why didn't you get this for me when I was pregnant? Mm, See, that's a tough call because, yeah, that's true. She probably should have. But (laughs) nonetheless, it's in the house now, so just make it work. Oh, yeah. We'll figure it out. Uh, your feet have been quite busy, so uh, very warranted to have them in a nice little spa. How have you felt about your game this year uh, in another season in New England? Uh, I think just it, it's so easy to, to do it this way, but it, it's honestly the game of our offense has just been fun to be around. Uh, you know, I've played, as you know, uh, for a lot of teams, a lot of 
of years. And there's something unique with this group about uh, selflessness. Um, I've never really quite had it across the board before. Um, that it, it's it's so much fun to play lacrosse right now. That's always interesting to hear from you because you always seem like you're having fun. Yeah, it's the first thing I say to kids that I coach. At the end of the day, playing lacrosse is fun. Um, so yes, I'm always enjoying it. But there's 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 just something different with this group of of men that you want to be a part of. Uh, that's exciting, and it's not to speak poorly of any other programs or teams I've been uh, been with before. It's just uh, uh, it's different. It's just really different. And it's a lot of fun. Obviously, you came over to New England last year in the trade with Buffalo. Uh, now your first full season, you're obviously gelling with the group a lot more. Um, what do you like most about head coach Glenn Clark? Uh, everything. He's he's a great speaker. He he fits that head coach role really well. He manages both sides um, of the ball, both sides of the bench really well. Uh, he keeps us accountable and his philosophies. Uh, I I'm right in line, and I think everybody on our team are in line with his philosophies on the way that he wants our team to play. Uh, I think he's, he's onto something and, and trending with, uh, with, with the likes of the teams that have been successful over the last few years, you know, um, consistency is a huge part of uh, his, his model for this team. And that's the way that we play offenses. We play a consistent way and a scripted way. Um, we're going to have a chance to win versus trying to go out there and free ball it like uh, the old school NLL used to be. And I think that's the biggest adjustment to what this new age NLL is. is it's, it's super athletic, skilled players playing within uh, a team system versus seeing guys just go take over like they used to be back in the day. I'm not going to say you invented the jump or the dive, but you've really perfected it. Uh, you and I have talked on this podcast many times before about your ability to jump and, and control your body in the air, but we're starting to see more and more NLL guys take that airborne route. Um, is it kind of cool to see that style of lacrosse make an impact in the game where it's not just power outside shots? Um, I like it. I think uh, what you're seeing is a little bit less of the hockey players on the floor and, and seeing well-rounded athletes on the floor now. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where the gem comes from. Somebody asked me about it the other day, actually, and uh, my, my biggest thing that I said is my background was not hockey. I'm one of the very few lacrosse players that didn't play hockey. Uh, mine was jumping sports, volleyball, and basketball. So I always used that tool uh, throughout my game my whole life. I always ha- did play that kind of way, but I was so shy early in my career. So I didn't want to do things like that because it looked like I was trying to be fancy or if I messed right. it up. And you're so scared of what your peers would think or what coaches would think. But as I became more comfortable in my career and comfortable on the floor, with, uh, I started to use those things again. And that's where kind of you see, you've seen them come more towards – uh, the second half of my career than in the early ones. And that's one big thing that I like to try to preach to uh, the young guys is if you have a tool, use it. Just know how to use it and when to use it, but don't be shy to use it. You've mentioned uh, the young guys a couple times already. Young guys you've coached, young guys you've played with. Uh, you got a guy on your team that is working as both those factors, and that's J.P. Keeley. Um, you've known him for quite some time. How impressed are you with his uh emergence onto the NLL scene so young in his career? Yeah, I'm super proud with uh, with him getting there. We have another one, Ryan Fournier, who's another one of my right. Ottawa, Ottawa disciples, <laughs> I call them, uh, two of the guys that I first started coaching uh, and training when I first started doing this. Um, so seeing them both in the league right now is 
is amazing because I know firsthand the type of work those guys have put in to get there. Uh, for, for JP, I, I'm really excited to see kind of what it's become because he's now having to learn the game at a different role than he's ever had to play it in his life. He's always been a uh, big fish in a little pond, and that's not meant to be a knock on him, but he's always been you know, the best player of his age group everywhere that he's been because he's from Ottawa, B-level ball, um, and stuff like that. So now he's playing at the highest level and having to play an IQ role. So for him, he's, he's having to learn and round his game out in a way that he's never had to before. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what he's able to do with that. If he puts in uh, the mental capacity of playing the role that's needed of him and adds that to the physical abilities he has, I think the sky's the limit for him. It's just being able to consistently buy into learning those things. And uh, I'm excited to see the type of player he can become over the next three, four years. What's awesome to see is guys from those smaller, non-traditional markets, whether it's you know out in Montreal or Quebec or Wallaceburg or um, Ottawa or in Manitoba or parts of Alberta, we're starting to see more and more guys come out of those smaller markets and have impact. It's great to see this game growing. How is it growing in Ottawa? Uh, like crazy. I think uh, Ottawa is finally put on the map now in terms of not, not a hotbed, but it's, it's now recognized just kind of like Toronto is. Obviously, we don't quite have the numbers, but, uh, you know, Ottawa's got the Midget A champions from last summer. Yeah. They, uh, the Nepean Knights won Midget A, and I think that alone really showed uh, what is out there because they had consistent level of teams at, in A in the Nepean organization, and that was rare to ever see from Ottawa. You may randomly get an A team come up in a minor program, but it was rare. When I was growing up, it was C and D level across. And consistency was usually B or C. And now the Nepean Knights organization is almost A across the board. Um, so it's rare that one of their teams is not in A at one of the age groups. So I think that has really uh, put it on a map at a youth level. And then you're seeing kids thriving in the NCAA. We just watched Cameron Wires. Uh, starting to oil as a freshman and, and doing an incredible job. Um, we've got Corson Keeley, who's over at Robert Morris, putting up a hat-trick. Um, you know, Aaron Forster over at NJIT was in there now, and we've got guys who graduated up and sort of playing professionally now. And uh, you're, you're seeing success for some individuals coming from the region, but now you're seeing more and more consistent success. It's not uh, a random pop-up once here and there. You know, Jeff Zawicki and myself caught the cannon, and that was basically it. You're now seeing consistent uh, potential coming in each year now. Uh, you'll see guys hopefully fighting for spots through the draft each year coming forward. Especially with expansion coming, more spots, more names, more opportunities for guys who don't get looks normally uh, for a chance to make the NLL and, and make some dreams come true. Uh, you were working with Ottawa kids. Now you're working with kids in Oklahoma? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the first thing you want to talk about as soon as they hear that I'm here. Uh, Randomly started the line. I've been wanting to get to the United States and uh, and start my coaching career and coaching resume for a while. I've been doing it in, in Ottawa, Canada for a while, but it's just a different animal in the States, the way that they view high school sports and, and stuff. So for me, it's, it's a career path that I'm really passionate about hopefully trying to grow. So I was able to connect with the right group of people who were really looking for qualified coaches uh, down here in Oak Falls, Oklahoma. Honestly, I never took it serious when we started talking. I didn't think it was realistic because I knew nothing about Oklahoma or thought that I'd ever want to live in Oklahoma. Uh, but they brought my family and I down, and uh, you know, we really enjoyed what, what we saw when we came down for the visit. And the, uh, the lacrosse, it's, it's very similar to uh, Ottawa. When we start coaching 
we're hoping to have a huge impact is not just coaching the kids, but helping coach the coaches. Because it's just not a place where a bunch of random lacrosse people are going to just move to. Yeah. Uh, the only way we're going to see the level of consistency move forward is once we put kids through the NCAA and they come home and start coaching and giving back. But we need to create, create uh, a trend for the kids who are there now during that process to still have an opportunity to get to that next level. And it's just trying to uh, have a standard of education across the board in the city. And that's one of the biggest things we're working on. Actually, Ryan Fournier uh, is living down here with me. He's my, uh, my coaching partner down here, uh, helping to really try to you know, provide a potential future for some kids. And I'm telling you, Teddy, there are some special, special kids here, uh, which shocked us. Um, we've got a couple of kids that we believe can be uh, top end division one talents in the next three years. That's amazing to hear where you get a small area, obviously Tulsa, Oklahoma is not small, but in the terms of a lacrosse community, a smaller area that's, that has these diamonds in the rough. So are you working with a club program or are you working with a school? What are you working with specifically? So uh, so we are, Ryan and I are coaching a private Catholic high school right here. Awesome. Um, okay. um, and we're, we're running the varsity team. And then we also started our own club program. Uh, one of the biggest things here where we're going to hopefully have the biggest impact isn't just teaching how to play the game. Uh, it's it's teaching them the recruiting process. Yeah. People are just so it's so football-oriented here, and they're so used to the way things are done in football that they have no clue how lacrosse recruiting works and, and everything. So uh, educating the parents and the players in the process and what they need to be doing and how to, to get recruited and all that type of stuff, it's, it's a lot of the stuff that we're working on and trying to explain and, and create a, a culture with that because, uh, like I said, uh, there are some special players here who – probably would never have an opportunity to go to the schools that they could uh, without knowing what they have to do in the sense of recruiting. They just think, you know, in football, you're found. If you're mm-hmm. just a stud football player living in the hotbed of football, someone's going to find you. Uh, nobody's just going to find you in Oklahoma, unfortunately. And it was like that in Ottawa for the most part uh, before we started our Ottawa Capitals program. Um, you saw guys randomly here and there getting uh, signed to the NCAA, but until uh, – Jake or Jay Fox came in and started really marketing and helping the kids in the recruiting process. You didn't see them just funneling into schools and having some kids endlessly funneling into schools because the biggest impact I find these showcase programs and recruiting programs can have, especially in these smaller markets, is in the uh, recruiting side of things. Um, it, it's actively working as a club director. Uh, speaking to schools and reaching out to coaches and informing them about, hey, we have some special talents that we think fit your caliber and your type of school. Um, because, again, just nobody's looking in Oklahoma for players, and, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. You haven't seen a consistent product come out of a place like Oklahoma. Um, but the, the athletes here are tremendous, and when you sprinkle in some lacrosse ability on top of that athleticism, it's sky's the limit. Well, you just look at, you know, Denver started out of nowhere and it's come up big. You'd look at uh, what the Holmans are doing in Utah. They're starting to grow that program. So uh, good on you and Florence for uh, taking the big leap and heading down to Oklahoma where no one's really ever been before in the lacrosse community. So that's got to be a pretty uh, pretty cool experience. Um, is there any chance of starting a little box program down there? Already started. So we're yeah, I think. A team or two uh, to the U.S. Box Nationals. Yeah. Um, that is our goal. Uh, we're calling them Team, o- team Oklahoma. We just want to try to get a, a presence in the state. We actually showcased uh, for about eight weeks uh, box across in the way it's played because they play here, but it's 
like you probably remember back when we we first came in the league and everybody in California was playing. They called it boss across, but it was just indoor across. It was still yeah. inside. Uh, it's basically the same thing that's happening here, and that's one thing that we're hoping to change is to work with. The, there's, there's a great program here. Uh, running it, it's just again they just need someone coming in to teach them, teach the refs, and uh, just the way that the game's actually supposed to be played. Not even the the strategy or anything, but just simply this is how a faceoff is done. This is how offenses work. This is how the changes work, and so on. Right? Um, the details of the way the game is played. And Fox is just, as you know, such a unique beast in its own. Is they can't come from a field across background and just think you're going to know how to coach box across. And, yeah. and, uh, just because it's just so different. Everything in field across technically contradicts box across. The simple thing is it sticks to the outside versus sticks to the inside. Um, switching hands and, and transition and all these different things. So uh, we're hoping to – we were able to show kids kind of the way it's played and how much fun box across is when it's played properly and how it's not this vicious version of the game where people yeah. – So you take some football athletes and you throw them in basically um, – you know, the gladiator ring right there, and they think it's an opportunity to run somebody through the board. But real box across defense isn't about hitting people. It's it's ultimately directing traffic, uh, loud shots from where you want to see them, and the 30-second clock will give you the ball back. Um, so just that alone is, is going to make kids more comfortable playing it and parents not thinking it's crazy vicious because you're not going to see those massive hits into the boards anymore because that's just not proper defense in box across. It happens yeah. here and there, but it's – it's not a consistent thing, whereas right now it's it's the biggest fear for everybody, right, is they can one kid get run behind through the boards. And it's just simply a coaching thing. And it's not yeah. that coaches are trying to get rid of those things. It's just they may not know how the game's supposed to be played to teach it. And referees don't necessarily know the way it's to be refed so they can teach it. So that's where we're hoping to help is to help, again, teach the teachers, teach the program. Um, not the strategy. The wins and losses don't matter, but let's start teaching the actual version of the game because it's such a great version of the sport. That's awesome, man. I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, this weekend, uh, your New England Black Wolves are playing a pretty intense doubleheader with Philadelphia. 7 o'clock in Philadelphia on Saturday and then a 3 o'clock afternoon game Sunday. Uh, that's not a lot of turnaround. Uh, what's the biggest uh, focus for an athlete when you have to play back-to-back games in a short amount of time? Are you asking the 34-year-old me or the 24-year-old <laughs> Uh, the 34-year-old you. <laughs> um, well, first one is to focus on the first one. Uh, yeah. We can't worry about the Sunday until after uh, Saturday's over. So uh, going out there and trying to do your job, and your job is to win a lacrosse game on Saturday. So whatever it takes to win that game is key. Uh, for for me, it's, you know, doubleheaders suck, and it's it's worse and worse as you get older. But they've always sucked since I was younger. Uh, yeah. Just the way that the league is, the turnaround time, you barely get to sleep uh, just simply because you can't sleep after a game. You know how it is. You, yeah lay in bed and stare at the ceiling until 3 a.m. because you're thinking about this play I should have done or your adrenaline's still running. So yeah. uh, that's the toughest part for me is any form of recovery. I don't get any. Um, so the body is pretty mad at me going into it. But uh, it's something everybody has to deal with. And, you know, it's we luckily don't do them as often as we used to. Um, so it's I think it's the only one we have this year. So, you know, leave a little bit of myself out there uh, every time I do it. And, Hopefully I can leave it out there for a purpose and get a couple of wins because that will be huge. Uh, you know, Eastern opponents, we need to try to cre- keep some separation against them. And that's a team that's hungry, 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 and have been on the cusp of doing a lot better than they have. And it's not that they haven't been playing well, they just haven't been finishing. And 
for us, you know, we need to make sure that trend doesn't change on our watch. There is Callum Crawford, one of my most favorite players to see go airborne. You can find him on Twitter at Callum, the number nine, the word eight. He's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you're ever driving through. And if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma listening, howdy. How's it going? Keep Callum and Fournier safe, please. The Black Wolves will take on the Philadelphia Wings this weekend, not once, but twice. And in the span of 20 hours, they will play Saturday night in Philadelphia, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And then Sunday, they play at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time in New England. So that is not an easy commute for either team. Now, I don't know the quickest way to get from Philadelphia to Uncasville, but thanks to Google, it's approximately a four-hour drive. And so that's not exactly a hard commute. Now, we've seen the Bandits bus from Buffalo to Uncasville. That's a lot longer than it has to be from Philadelphia. So maybe we'll see some teams hop on the old iron lung this weekend and make the trek. Because it's probably got to be quicker than flying. Although there is one non-stop flight, apparently, according to Google. There's a couple connectors that take a few hours. So um, unless they're all going to charter that American Airlines flight, I would imagine that these teams could be busing. Nothing like a good old team bus trip like you're in college. But when I asked Callum about that, you know, what do you have to do to get your body and mind right to play not just back-to-back games, but back-to-back games in such a short time? And for most guys, it's going to be ice, food, sleep. Pretty much in that order. But the way things are going now in the National Cross League, the guys have those uh, hyperbaric leg sleeves that they put on to help the blood circulate back in the legs to kick out the lactic acid. Um, every team's got massage therapists and trainers traveling with them. So I think they will be taken care of. But like he said, if you're playing a 7 o'clock game, let's say it takes two and a half hours, 9.30, like that's 10 o'clock by the time you've even taking your gear off, showered, change, sign autographs, all that stuff. But then you got to eat some food, get to your hotel or end or travel, and you got to be able to calm your mind down enough to sleep. And that's no easy task. I don't know any lacrosse player that can legitimately play a game and then within a couple hours be lights out of sleep. It's not possible. Your mind continues to race. So while I think the Saturday night game will be a great one, it wouldn't surprise me if the Sunday afternooner is a bit of a slow start. Now, sure, you could see a bunch of guys. We'll probably see some guys play Sunday that didn't play Saturday and vice versa. And so you'll probably see some fresh legs, giving her all they got in the first five, ten minutes of that game on Sunday. But there will be a lot of sore and tired bodies coming out those gates. And... It wouldn't surprise me if there's a little slowness to that game, a little sloppiness to that game. But sometimes that's what you got to do in the NLL to get the schedule in, and that's pack games in tight quarters. 
and two games in 20 hours might be the quickest turnaround I've seen in the National Lacrosse League. One more note from the Black Wolves. Callum Crawford did score his 900th National Lacrosse League point this past weekend, moving him into some rarefied air of players who have breached the 900-point mark. I think we're at about 13 players all told that have reached the 900-point milestone. He's not far off 1,000, probably, shoosh, he, he might even get there next year if he continues on the pace that he is because he's going to add another 30-plus points to his totals this year. And then if he has another solid year next year, there's pretty much no doubt that he'll get there. Callum's on pace for another 85, 90-point season this year. So 2020, he could easily get into the 1,000-point club, a very, very rare rare club Ryan Benesh of the Mammoth will be the next player to become a 1,000 pointer he surpassed Lewis Ratcliffe for 10th all time in NLL scoring He's sitting around 980 or so uh, in front of him is Mark Stainhouse Sean Williams and Sean Evans who just passed Williams this past weekend for 7th all time He'll probably catch, well, he actually will catch Gary Gate for sixth all-time. He's got some ways to go before he's reached Dan Dawson numbers. And speaking of the dangerous one, Dawson is on the heels of Josh Sanderson for fifth, sorry, for fourth all-time. Dawson is already in fifth. And there is pretty much no doubt, as long as he stays healthy, that Dan Dawson uh, will creep his way into the top four. He might even, might even catch Colin Doyle this year. Coming into the season, Doss was at 1308, Sanderson 1357, Doyle 1384. Dawson has uh, 27 points on the season. That gives him, uh, what is that, uh, 1335. So he's uh, 22 points behind Shooter. And he's 50 points behind uh, Popeye Doyle. So he's got a way to get to third, but he's definitely going to get to fourth all time. And uh, just another feather in the cap of the dangerous one, most likely the best right-hander, arguably, to ever step foot indoors. You can argue. I'm okay with it. I just think there's no arguing that Doss is the greatest right-hander ever. To play indoors. And it's so crazy to think he was a sixth round draft pick. Crazy to think. Um, some other news and notes before we get uh, to Pat Gregoire. Uh, this weekend, we will find out the names of New York and Halifax. We kind of touched on that earlier. But San Diego made a bit of news as they signed Kyle Hartzell, uh, defender, uh, NLL champion, MLL champion, world champion. I even believe he's an NCAA champion. The guy is a winner. And I believe the last time he played, he was property of Philadelphia uh, after he was traded from Washington. Don't think he played many games. Then maybe played a season. Uh, but then he moved to Dallas and hasn't been in the league since. But he's doing some work with Paul Rabel down in California with the PLL. 
And with the injury to Brody Merrill, there was a need for an experienced defender. And Pat Merrill jumped at the opportunity to get Hartzell. And I know he's excited to have Kyle in the lineup as um, a tenacious, aggressive, proven defender. And I think he'll fit right in. It's been a while since Hartsey's played some indoor. Uh, but when you're as good as a guy like Kyle Hartzell is, you're not going to miss too many beats once you get right back in. And the best thing is the guy is in pristine condition. He's working out all the time. Uh, so there won't be any rust or at least conditioning rust, maybe some stick rust. But uh, I highly doubt that as well. So uh, a bit of a move by the Seals. We don't know how long Brody Merrill is going to be out. There was reports that he was injured when he fought um, Matt Beers back in January. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye out on that. So uh, great to see Kyle Hartzell back in the National Cross League. We wish Brody Merrill a speedy recovery because I know the Seals would love to have him back in the lineup. means that it's that time of the week again. Joining us from snowy and cold Ontario, it's Pat Gregoire. Patty, how are you, bud? Snowy and cold. Snowy and cold. But at least we can be cold and miserable together because I hear uh, you guys are getting some Ontario weather out in BC. Yeah, for some reason you continue to push the snow this way and the city <laughs> of Victoria is literally almost shut down. and We have like a foot and a half to two feet of snow. Brutal. Well, I don't mean to jinx you guys. I'm being... Being quite honest, I do feel bad about that. Yeah, this is probably my fault for rubbing it in your face a couple weeks ago that I was in shorts and golfing. <laughs> yeah. uh, the National Cross League had another entertaining week. Uh, we have some good takeaways, some bad takeaways. Uh, what's the biggest story uh, that you take away from this past weekend? For for me, I, I you know, just off the hop, I think, the fact that now you, you look at the standings in the West and still Saskatchewan, you know, another loss. And now they drop all the way down uh, below 500 in third place. And, and that's the big thing for me that now you, you look at a team and, and this is a team where you kind of say to yourself, like, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. They're, they're going to get it. But now, I mean, you scroll through Twitter, you, you read articles, or pretty much everyone's saying, and now maybe they're not as good um, as we were anticipating or as they have been in the last few years, years. Maybe they're not going to figure out. They're still going to be a playoff team. They're still going to, um, you know, battle. But maybe it's not going to be a cakewalk like sometimes we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's almost as if teams are starting to figure them out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's maybe maybe a little bit of it too. I think that you know teams have seen this unit offensively work together. They they have drawn up ways uh, to you know slow down this offense. Uh, and in the past, when the offense has slowed down, when other teams kind of have figured them out, um, you know it's been their defense that have won them games, and you know it's been their goaltending that's kind of held them through, or their transition. Uh, has been able to pick them up. But it just seems like this year, 
with the amount of losses that they've had on the back end, um, they're not quite getting the goaltending that they got last year in between the pipes. So that has kind of be, been a recipe for a few losses here and there. I'm still not really going to say that this is uh, – I definitely don't think they're as strong as a team as they've been in the past, but I still definitely think they can be a team that can win a championship. And it's crazy to think that you say and other people say that they're not as strong as they've been in the past. They really only lost maybe like three or four guys from their past teams, and it's it's incredible to think all the times we've talked about – Derek Keenan building his team with depth and always having a guy to fill into a hole that they are having this many struggles early on in the season. I, you know what? You're exactly right. It, it is kind of, it is weird to see. And it's, it is kind of puzzling. I mean, there, there have been guys who kind of have stepped in and, you know, done a, done a pretty good job. Uh, Jordy Jones Smith's a guy that I think has done a fantastic job mm-hmm. stepping in. Um, he's another guy that, has had experience, uh, you know, with Derek Keenan playing for Whitby um, and even with Brooklyn as well in major series. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of stepped in and has been able to step up, and it's individuals have been able to rise to the occasion. It just it doesn't seem like everyone's been able to kind of have that continuity on defense and haven't been able to quite uh, gel together. That's something that's kind of very uncharacteristic uh, for uh, a Derek Keenan coach team. Usually – it's kind of a pick and plug. He puts guys in that he thinks are going to are going to work in the system, and maybe they're working individually, but for whatever reason, uh, as a unit right now, it's not working. But like you said, it's only a couple of pieces here and there. And if you look at the the, the way that the games have fallen too, it's just a few goals here and there as well. Uh, you know, to Calgary, I, you know, Calgary putting up seventeen against them. That's and, and, and Toronto, I think it was the week before, 16. Georgia, the week before that, 13. Those are just – that's just – that alone is completely uncharacteristic for, for a Derek Keenan coach team. And you know what? That That's where maybe one or two guys that are kind of learning the system, learning to be a National Lacrosse League pro, teams are able to expose that instead of, you know, in years past, uh, Saskatchewan would be able to roll out five guys that are, you know, elite defenders and that can shut you down or even possibly transition up the floor and, and create a scoring opportunity. So let me ask you this. Was the 17-12 Roughnecks win a bigger win for Calgary or a more alarming loss for Saskatchewan? I mean, as much as I kind of was, you know, questioning what's going on with Saskatchewan and kind of scratching my head and wondering maybe this maybe this isn't the, the Saskatchewan team we're used to seeing. With all that being said, I think this is a bigger win for Calgary. Uh, at the start of the year, Calgary was kind of one of my picks to be, uh, you know, a, a true contender in the West. And then, you know, they had a little bit of the drama with uh, Berg being, uh, being held out and Dixon obviously coming back in. Uh, you know, Christian Del Bianco kind of looked a little, little bit sketchy off the hop. He's obviously figured things out. The offense looks unbelievable. Dixon has a monstrous night, puts up del- double digit points. Uh, the defense is looking like it's really, really working well together. The transition has been pretty on point for them as well. Uh, and you, you, t- you talk about some guys in Saskatchewan that are, 
you know, jumping into the lineup and, and learning how to put, be pros and, and becoming uh, contributors. Well, there's a bunch of guys on Calgary that have been doing that as well. I think that have been very solid. Eli Salam is a guy that I've been a big fan of his game for a few years now. Uh, seeing him in the Minto couple a couple of years ago, I kind of knew he was going to be a good pro. He's been a guy that I've been impressed with that's, that's jumped out and, and done a fantastic job. So he's a guy that, I mean, I knew he was going to be solid. I didn't know if he'd be this solid this quickly. Uh, and and, I, and then, I mean, you look at obviously all their, the veterans, uh, Dean Doby putting up 10, Dixon putting up 11 on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Zach Courier, again, a, a monstrous night, um, you know, on the back end in transition. Uh, I think Mitch Wild has been a very, very nice piece for them. Uh, he continues to get better and better as a National Lacrosse League defender. I thought last year was his best season uh, in the NLL. I think this year you could probably say that he's on pace uh, to have an even better year as well. And he's kind of been a leader in that group as well, considering, you know, this is just, I believe, his second year with, with the Roughnecks now, maybe second and a half. I think it was, a, it was, it was near the – it was a mid, mid-season trade that he was acquired, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you just put all these things together, putting up 17 against the rush in, in a single week, uh, it's impressive, and they've been able to find different ways to beat teams. Some nights you see them put up a bunch of goals when their defense isn't that great, or Del Bianco's a little shaky. And then there's other nights where their offense hasn't looked great, but Del Bianco and the defense stand on their head and, and kind of shut things down. I'm not saying they're the Toronto Rock uh, of the West, but the way that they've been able to find ways to win in different fashion, that kind of reminds me of, of what the Rock have been doing in the East. Maybe not quite as dominant, though. Yeah, Wild came over from Buffalo halfway through the 2017 season. Uh, the Rush are in Vancouver this weekend. Calgary goes to Buffalo. So two big games for both of those clubs as the West continues to get tighter. Uh, let's stay in the West a little bit. Um, the San Diego Seals, the top of the town, number one team in the West Division. Uh, had a couple weeks off. They had lost that, that game to Vancouver, and everyone's like, okay, let's slow the horses down. And then they come back and they play their second game against Vancouver and they lose. What do you take away from the two weeks off and how much you would have thought it probably would have helped this team, but unfortunately it didn't? Yeah, you know what? I, I think in a lot of sports, you know, football, hockey, teams like the rest to, you know, rest up the bumps and bruises, get healthy. Uh, but in a, in a game where, like the National Lacrosse League, where you're only with the guys on the weekend uh, and, and you're not practicing every single day, you're not lifting every single day, you don't have that everyday com- camaraderie, you want to play, especially a team like San Diego who was on a roll, they were on fire, their offense was clicking. I think they would want to continue to play and play and play and really ride that hot streak that they had. And and not just that, this is a new team as well. So these guys don't have much chemistry together as it is. There's a lot of guys that are in the first year of the National Lacrosse League. A lot of guys, you know, on that team that that don't even have much box lacrosse experience as well. Um, And mind you that most of those guys are on the practice roster, but still, um, the, there's just, it seems like that this two week break couldn't have come at a worse time, uh, for San Diego. And you watch what happened that game and it looked like they were just completely out of sync. Uh, they weren't able to get much going offensively. Uh, they kind of just looked like on a, on a different page, uh, on, on defense. And it just seems like, you know, like I said, in most sports, 
players would love to have, you know, a week off, maybe two weeks off to kind of reset the batteries. But in the case for San Diego, I certainly think that they would have much rather to get right back at it and, and try to, you know, keep their hands as hot as possible. Yeah, January 19th to February 8th, the amount of time they were off. I mentioned that they had lost back-to-back Vancouver. They beat Vancouver in that first game. In Vancouver, that was the one where Mitch Jones' shot had a little extra spin and spun away from the net behind yes. the Vancouver goals, or behind uh, Shiliano that probably would have tied that game. But this San Diego team, obviously very young. Um, they're still trying to figure it out. They just added Kyle Hartzell, who is an NLL championship defending uh, or defender uh, that was now in California. How much of a pickup is that for them, do you think? I, I think it's huge. I, I think that's a, a really, really strong pickup. Uh, like you said, uh, NLL championship pedigree, um, you know, championship pedigree in the field lacrosse game as well. Uh, and, and I think, you know, having a veteran on that team, uh, a guy that's, you know, has experience in both games, able to, uh, you know, aid some of those guys that are making the transition into the box game as well. Uh, he's a guy that I think um, he's a perfect fit. I, I think he's going to fit in really nicely. Uh, you know, the loss of Brody Merrill, obviously, that that really, really hurts, and I think that kind of forced their hand to go out and get another defender. Uh, I mean, you're not going to get the impact that Brody Merrill has, um, you know, in the box, but Nonetheless, it's still going to be another veteran defender and a guy that can kind of mold um, some of these young minds on this team. And obviously, it's a big boost, um, you know, for PR, social media. Uh, Some more fans that are more aware of the field lacrosse game are going to know who he is uh, from there. And it's going to draw more eyes to them. And at the end of the day, this is all about growing the indoor game. And I, I think this is a solid move on and off the floor for the Seals. Seals will take on Toronto Friday. Uh, that's a big game. Is the top two of the top teams in the National Cross League will finally square off, and that's a game I've been wanting to see for quite some time. Uh, let's go back to this past weekend. One more game uh, to touch on with you, and it's not often that we see the Georgia Swarm shut out in a quarter. It's not often that we see them held to just nine goals, but it's really rare that they give up 19. And the Buffalo Bandits hung 19 on them this past weekend. What do you take? from this game is this just a one-off or should people be worried about the Georgia Slum? I I I mean it's obviously extremely alarming just the way that they how out of sync they looked um you know on defense especially considering how strong the defense and the goaltending situation has been uh with both goalies pulling um and uh, Orleman as well both guys have been solid obviously Orleman get it picking up his first win uh the week prior uh, I would say, obviously, maybe uh, Swarm fans should have a little bit of caution. Uh, but at the end of the day, this offense that we're seeing from from Buffalo is incredible. Um, you know, Sean Evans is on an absolute tear. He's been outstanding. Dane Smith, uh, he's not scoring at the rate that, you know, we once have seen. But uh, 11 assists the other night, I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, he's becoming, I mean, we've seen what he's been able to do as a playmaker and he's continuing to do that. Uh, you just look up and down the lineup, obviously Corey small, another big night and you go through the lineup, but you also realize that, you know, Chris Cloutier, a guy that they picked up, wasn't even in the lineup Mm -hmm. and Josh Burns still injured. What the heck do you do when those two guys come back into the lineup? (laughs) And, and, you know, uh, Case Fraser, he's been solid 
you know, scoring some big goals for this team too. So luckily for him, he's a guy that's going to be able to play transition. He can play offense. So if one of those guys do get injected back in the lineup, obviously Burn is for sure is going to when and if he's healthy. Uh, but uh, now they have some some struggles of who they're going to move around. Hogarth's another guy. Hogarth has been unbelievable off- offensively, but are you going to have to maybe take him out? Uh, are you going to keep you know keep him out out front? What are you going to be able to do? So. It, they have some some questions to have uh, or to answer, but these are are good problems to have when you have to figure out who is going to be in your lineup. And they've been this solid and this great of National Lacrosse League players. I think a big concern for Ed Como and the Georgia Swan coaching staff is the fact that they gave up seven power play goals to Buffalo. That's not a recipe for success. No, absolutely not. I, I think that. It's it's pretty obvious that we've seen uh, in years past that a lot of lacrosse games are won with special teams and uh, Georgia they just they they can't be giving up um, you know that many power play goals they can't be taking that many penalties against a team like Buffalo because you know uh, you you you're unable to you know if you get into a penalty trouble with a team like Buffalo you're in trouble uh, look at the Toronto Rock for example they played incredibly disciplined last week against Saskatchewan because they knew we can't take penalties because Saskatchewan will absolutely torch you, um, you know, on the man up opportunity. So what do they do? They play discipline. They still play tough, uh, but they stay out of the box and they challenge Saskatchewan to beat them five on five. And that's what Georgia should have done. Um, I, I know against Buffalo, you want to play tough against those guys. You want to get in their face. You want to try to get under their skin because they do have some players on that team that when you get under their skin and kind of distract them from offense, they kind of get lost in the shuffle with some of the rough stuff. So I think that's maybe what they were trying, but uh, it was a little too much as they spent way too much time in the penalty box and, and Buffalo just absolutely torched them. Uh, before I let you go, um, Elite Sport Tours has decided that your face is worthy of being hired. Um, how did you get involved with them and how do I get tickets to something awesome? Oh yeah. So, uh, a, a good buddy of mine, actually, he, uh, he's their sales manager and, uh, I, I did some work with them for the Buffalo bills, uh, trips. Uh, basically what it is, it's, it's, uh, you know, the largest, uh, sports travel agency in all of Canada. Uh, we specialize in creating custom sports, uh, tours, sports, uh, packages, uh, and just basically all over North America and hopefully soon over in the UK. But, uh, you know, because of my background in sports media, they, they got me involved. So I'll be, you know, the manager of uh, digital content. So a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but we have some plans to get my ugly mug on camera uh, a little bit as well too. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. We do some, stu- some stuff out west. Uh, I know that we'll be uh, doing a trip uh, uh, in uh, Seattle in the summer for the Blue Jays. So, I mean, if you want to head down, you know, down to the border uh, to see the Blue Jays play, take on Seattle. I know that anytime they're 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 playing the Mariners, it's pretty much a home game for the Blue Jays. Well, I'll be sure to keep your number on speed dial for that. Uh, Patty, as always, my man, great stuff. Uh, keep up the good work, and we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks for having me, as always. As always, you can find him on Twitter at Pete Greggy. Great stuff. From Pat Gregoire, his Greggy Grinders are always a good read on Inside the Cross. Uh, you can also check him out uh, working with Tyson Geik on the lacrosse flash. And awesome news that Tyson Geik and the NLL have come to terms on a deal. 
Kind of like when we found out Curtis Dixon got a deal. Tyson Geick is back. And the NL Flash is back. So excited for my boy Geiker. Um, continues to put out great stuff, solid content. Um, and now the NLL is back on board with Tyson. So they're going to collaborate and put some great stuff out. Uh, Steve Burmell, myself, and Brad Challoner will join Tyson for the first edition of the NLL Flash coming out later this week, I believe. Uh, so that's just great to see. Um, more exposure for the game of lacrosse. We've talked about Warriors and 30. We've talked about all these other podcasts that are out there, whether it be my podcast, Jumbo's podcast, um, or even I know there's some fans out there that have podcasts. The Addicted to Lacrosse podcast uh, has been going for about four or five years, um, and, and that's another avenue. So if if you're a lacrosse nerd like myself and like Geiker and like Patty Greggs and Jumbo and the rest of us, Stephen Stamp, his Box Lip Beat podcast is back up and running, and he does remarkable work getting more players and telling stories. And that's one of the biggest parts about these podcasts and, and the content that the NLL does and that Tyson does and that we all do. It's all about telling these guys stories because there are so many of them. Great stories. Um, the Saskatchewan News uh, did, or the Global Saskatchewan did a story on Adam Shute and how he's the most interesting man on the cross because he's a PhD student trying to figure out how to help people with Crohn's disease and asthma and things like that. Um, I think I heard Cody Jameson say that Graham Hossick likes to dissect animals. So there are incredible stories, some weirder than others, some better than others. But if we don't tell them, we don't get them out there, then truly these are just lacrosse players who are playing on the weekend. But if we can tell their stories and show how great they are away from the lacrosse box, the mystique and the aura of lacrosse will just continue to grow. I, uh, I forgot to mention Dane Doby's name when I was talking about players who were recording personal accomplishments playing in his 12th season all of them with the calgary roughnecks a first round selection back in 2007 fourth overall the pride of Alora, ontario dane doby is now an 800 point man his best nll year 2014 51 goals 39 assists for 90 points in a full 18-game schedule. And that's been probably one of the tougher parts about Dane's career. He could easily be a 900-point guy if he was healthy and was playing every game every year. You look at his stats, there's some 15s and 13s in a 17-game season. He's missing games here and there, and obviously that's hurt his point totals over his career, but it doesn't take away from the legend that is the mustache Dane Doby. He isn't the biggest, the fastest, or the strongest. But his heart, his compete level, and his lacrosse IQ are better than most. He had 10 points this weekend against the Rush. And one of the goals that he scored was a traditional Dane Doby fast break. He's coming out the front door, takes a long pass, pseudo breakaway. 
Now, usually most shooters, and Dane especially, will wait until he's right on top of the crease, throw a couple fakes, then beat the goaltender. Dane is better than most at that and probably one of the best all-time at that. But this time, and I'm so happy to see that he did it because I think a lot of lacrosse players, young and old, can learn from this. He shot the ball mm, 10 feet maybe outside of the crease before Evan Kirk had a chance to get set and caught him off guard. If you go back and watch, again, I can't remember which one of his four goals that it was, but if you watch, Evan Kirk is still back on his goal line because he's waiting for Dane to come right on top and throw a few fakes. And Dane sees this, so he shoots early when Kirk isn't set, isn't expecting it, and beats him far side. The ability to change your shot selection on the run is one of the things that has made Dane Doby so great over his entire 12-year career. He's only scored 50 once, only. I don't know too many guys that have scored 50 goals in the National Cross League. It's a very rare feat. But he is a guy that is a perennial 30-40 to 40 goal scorer. He's got 393 in his career. He's going to get to 900 points because the guy's got a lot of left in the tank. Again, he takes an absolute beating. But he continues to get right back up, continues to say, Coach, put me right back out there. And every time he's got the ball, he's a threat to score. And for his efforts, congratulations to Dane Doby. You are now a part of the 800-point club. 900 points just around the corner, my friend. Before we get you out of here, the Western Lacrosse Association had their draft last week. Uh, no surprise whatsoever. Christian Del Bianco went number one overall. No real surprise. I know a lot of people thought, actually, I know I was hoping that the Victoria Shamrocks would pull off some crazy blockbuster deal and obtain the number one rights to Delbs, but that didn't exactly go according to plan. It also didn't go according to plan for the Victoria Shamrocks in the sense that they were unable to acquire any of the three top-end talent that came from their junior program. Brad McCulley, Marshall King, and Braylon Lum went 3-4-5, and five to Langley, Maple Ridge, and Nanaimo, respectively. Victoria had the sixth pick in the draft, and they were unable to take any of those local products. They did, however, take Keegan Bell out of New Westminster, not Keegan Ball, Keegan Bell, uh, a highly touted kid out of New West. Uh, your first round looks like this, Del Bianco to Coquitlam, Ryland Reese to Burnaby, McCulley to, La uh, to Langley, Marshall King to the Brars, Braylon Lum to Nanaimo, Keegan Bell, Victoria, Graydon Bradley to Burnaby as Burnaby had Nanaimo, or sorry, New Westminster's first round pick. And then after that, it was kind of just pick the best guy available for your team. And I know Victoria wants to take Island guys, Nanaimo wants to take Island guys, but when you had three Island guys taken in the first round, which is a very rare sighting, the prospects available on the island for you to pick after that are kind of skinny. 
Um, so I thought Victoria did a good job in getting Larson Sundown out of Coquitlam. They picked up Dylan Raymond out of Victoria. Then the Timmerman, some people will call it poaching. Um, I'll call it doing due diligence. They took the best player available for him. And I know there are a lot of people who are upset with the fact that Victoria doesn't get their own. Don't worry, next year they'll be able to at least keep one of them as protection comes into the WLA. And it's not the NIMO, it's not the seniors' fault that their junior program isn't producing. It's not the rest of the WLA's fault that other junior programs aren't producing the way Victoria produced this year. Next year, it may be a whole bunch of Langley kids that are going to be drafted in the first round. It goes in cycles, and it's not the team's fault that they're picking players from other associations. That is the whole point of the draft. You take the best player available. You do everything you can to make your team the best they can be. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way drafts work. You just got to do your homework on kids, talk to them, find out if they want to come play for your program, and make it worth their while. I'm not saying you're off from cash, cars, and a job, but you're doing everything you can to make life easier for them, especially if it's an islander going to the mainland or a mainlander coming to the island. I would like to see both the WLA and MSL go to a two-man protection. I think one isn't enough, and I think four is too many. I think two would be perfect, but we all know that nothing in lacrosse is ever going to be perfect. So next year, protection in the WLA comes into play, so all senior teams will be able to protect somebody from their junior attachment. And so we may not have to worry about the mainlander and IMO poaching, as some like to call it, Victoria's product. But congratulations to all that were drafted. Uh, it was a good draft class. It'll be interesting to see how many of those kids crack the big boy rosters, and we will start to see the next generation of great WLA players. That'll about do it. Uh, thanks to Callum Crawford, thanks to Brad Chowner, and as always, thanks to Pat Gregoire. Of course, thanks to you, the fan and the listener, tuning in on SoundCloud and NLO Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Six games on the NLL docket this weekend. It starts Friday, goes all the way through Sunday. As always, catch them live on BR Live. And if you're in Colorado, it's beach night. Wear your Hawaiian gear. I will be. So will Shuey. And I think John Gallant might be wearing board shorts. So you're going to definitely want to tune in to BR Live. That'll do it for another week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening. And as always, be excellent to each other.